Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us to let us call you Father. I thank you for this day that we get to rejoice in fathers and remember that they all get their name from you. That we can be we can call you Father. We can be children of the great Father because of your Son Jesus. God, no matter if we've had a great Father on this earth or a poor Father, a great Father points us to your heavenly fatherhood. And a, a poor one, an imperfect Father, leaves us longing for your love. So satisfy right now our Father hunger with your word. Give us contentment in your loving care. Amen. So, a few weeks ago, I graduated from seminary, and ever since then, it's been sweet having rest, not having to do homework every week and go to class every week. And we've, it's been really good for our family, dropping that load. We've been able to focus a lot more on some really healthy habits. We've rested a lot more, slept better. We've eaten much better than we have in a while. And I've been able to play with my kids a lot more which has been such a delight to my heart, and I think the kids have really responded well to that also. Though my son, Titus, has always thought of me as his hero, his affection for me in the last month seems to just have skyrocketed. It's quite endearing and also really comical. He walks around often showing off his muscles so he can show me how strong he is, just like his daddy. In his prayers at dinner time, he'll bow his head and try to repeat exactly what I would have prayed the last time he heard me, with cracking his eye open, looking to the end of the table to see if he's saying it right. He likes to follow me around outside with a tool in his hand, preferably a hammer if he could get a hold of one, just ready to help me fix or build whatever needs our attention. Everywhere we go, he imitates me while constantly looking up to me with this grin on his face, a look that says, Look at me, Daddy. I'm just like you. Aren't you proud of me? He desperately wants my approval. Kids naturally think that they can earn their parents' approval through imitating them. This is quite humbling to me as I realize, I recognize that the development of my children is critically dependent upon my behavior and the words that I speak. And I have to constantly remind myself to deflect all that adoration to the God who's at work in me. But our children also provide for us a marvelous example of what we have in Christ as beloved children of God. So that's what we'll look at today in Ephesians 5. Just the first two verses. We're going to dig into verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5 and see how this special relationship we have with God is the key to building the church. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. 
a fragrant aroma and a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In the previous chapter, Paul had showed us or given us an introduction into the how of building a church. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, we saw this theological foundation of what God is doing to shape a new family and give us an identity, a unified identity in Christ as children of God. And then he transitions to chapter 4, where he gives us the practical outworkings of how to grow into this new identity. We are adopted into this family, and now what? How do children in this family behave? How do we mature as children in this family? He says in chapter 4, we are to be unified. We're to build each other up, serve one another. Put off our old ways of life and embrace this new identity in this family. And then we get to chapter 5. These first two verses are somewhat of a summary statement of everything from chapter 4. If Paul could boil down all the commands from chapter 4 into one idea, it's this. Be imitators of God. Copy God in His love. Imitate God as beloved children. So, being unified, serving together, building one another up, getting angry without sin, working diligently so you can earn a living and bless others generously. Forgiving one another. These are what God does. That's His nature, His character. And we, as His children, should be doing the same thing. So the main point that I want you to take from this message is that we're to imitate God by loving others, loving one another, as Christ sacrificially loved us. Every way that we're to imitate God is summarized in the life and death of Jesus. All these things that Paul commands us in chapter 4 are simply telling us, live like Jesus did. So he summarizes that with this statement, be imitators of God and love one another as Christ sacrificially loved us. Now it seems obvious to make this the main point of the text, you guys can just read that and say, well, clearly that's the main point. It's easy to find the main point when you have two verses. But I really want to dig into just a couple of points into these verses that draw that out, out for us. Pull on some of these and dig a little deeper that show us how we live like Jesus. So first, in the first verse, we'll look at our purpose, what we were made for, to be children who are, live like our daddy. In verse 2, we'll look at our model, our older brother Jesus, who alone is the only one to perfectly imitate our Father. So in verse 1, it's quite clear. Be imitators of God as beloved children. This is our purpose. This is why we exist, to imitate God. It's interesting, though, that the only place in the entire Bible where we're commanded to imitate God the Father is right here. It's a concept that seems to be foreign to the rest of Scripture. Paul tells us multiple times to imitate Him as He is like Jesus. 
He tells churches to imitate other churches like those Macedonians who are dirt poor and somehow they manage to give more money than any of the other churches. He says, you church in Corinth, be like that church. Imitate them. Once he explicitly tells us to imitate the Lord Jesus, but this idea of imitating the Father seems foreign to Scripture. As Justin told us, often Jews at that time didn't even have the concept of calling God the Father. So why would they imitate Him? But there is a similar concept that I think draws this out more for us. And that is imaging God. In Genesis 1.27, we're told that humanity is created in the image of God. That male and female, man and woman together, are created in His likeness so that when we interact and you look at us, somehow we show the world what God is like. In the ancient world, a king of a kingdom would set up a statue of himself, different statues of himself all over the, the kingdom to show his authority. He, would, he couldn't be everywhere at once in that kingdom to show, I'm here, I rule here. So he would have a statue carved and set up at the far reaches of the kingdom So if someone far away from the king comes across that, they say, oh, wow, that guy who looks like the statue has authority here. That king is at work right here. In a similar way as images of God, the world should look at us and see something beyond just us. The ancient people weren't supposed to come across these statues and marvel at the statue. Wow, look at the... Intricate carving right here. Look at the way the sun reflects off the marble and shows off all these colors. That wasn't the point. The point of the statue was to leave them not in awe of the statue, but in awe of the king who ruled there. And that's what it means for us to image God. That people look at us, see us interacting, and they say they would realize the king of the universe has authority here. The king is at work right here in me and around me wherever I go. They should look at us and see something beyond ourselves. The God we imitate. But we are more than statues, Paul says. We are beloved children. We have far more value than a statue because we get to be in a relationship with the king. We don't simply look like the king and then stand far off in some remote corner of the wilderness all by ourselves, like a statue. We behave like him. We speak like him. We love like him. Because we are beloved children. When one of my kids does something like me that I'm known to do, repeats a behavior or a mannerism that I have, Someone might say, well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Or if a kid looks like one of us, if a child looks like the parents, sometimes someone will say, wow, is he a chip off the old block? Meaning, a piece of the marble that was used to create this statue came off to make another one that looks very similar. And the more time our kids spend with us, the more they begin to look like us. They become, they begin to behave like us whether they like it or not, or even whether they realize it or not. And the same thing goes for us as children of our great Heavenly Father. God designed us people 
to be in this loving relationship, a secure relationship with Him, so that when we look at one another, all of these chips off the old block, we can piece it together and say, wow, that's what the Father is like. All these kids running around together, they imitate their Father. There's something about this analogy that needs to be made clear on Father's Day, though. For many people in this world, they probably never even wanted to be like their father. You may have had a a dad in your life who wasn't a very good dad, and when you think about him, you want to be everything opposite of what he was. I'm going to do things a different way when I'm a dad. And the reason you feel that way is because you never really felt loved by your father. You were never secure in your identity as a beloved child in your family. And when you were young, you may have gone to this dad and imitated him and looked for him longingly to look back at you and say, well done, I'm so proud of you the way you imitate me. But that attention, that affection never came. So instead of pursuing his likeness, now you reject it and say, I want nothing to do with that. Because that's not where I get affection. But God, our Father, is not that kind of Father. His love is certain. It's entirely complete. His love covers everything we need. There's nothing missing. It will never fade away. It will never go away. If my son acts like me and looks to me with a grin on his face, hoping that I give him affection and my head is buried in my iPhone. Or I'm giving all my attention to my work, distracted by everything else but his imitation of me. Soon he's going to be no longer interested in being like me. But if he imitates me and I praise him and say, well done, way to go, buddy. He's going to want to do that thing over and over and over, hungry for that affection that he received. That's the kind of father that God is to us. When we display his loving character to one another, he looks at us and says, well done, my child. It makes him happy. He smiles upon our childlike repetition of his nature and he affirms us. And it makes us want to do it over and over because we are beloved. We are secure in his love. But we're not beloved by nature. And this is a vital point to understand. We've talked about this before from earlier in Ephesians. Justin referenced it earlier, that we're adopted into God's family. But we need to repeat this over and over because our world so greatly misunderstands it. And this word here, beloved, is a good one to reflect on, to emphasize this truth that we are adopted into the family of God. We are called in verse 1, beloved children. But in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you search for the word beloved, the word occurs many, many times, but it's only used of one person, Jesus. Over and over, God uses the word beloved to speak of His unique, only begotten, beloved Son. The clouds open of the Mount of Transfiguration or at Jesus' baptism, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. 
The only person who ever pleased the Father was Jesus. But then you get to the rest of the New Testament, and you see that this word beloved is suddenly one of the writer's favorite words to use for Christians, for the saints. Almost every book of the New Testament refers to Christians as beloved brothers and sisters, beloved children, beloved fellow workers. Because Jesus was beloved on our behalf, those who trust in Him can now become beloved themselves. And we can only imitate God as beloved children because Jesus perfectly imitated Him on our behalf. So that leads us right into the second verse. Our older brother Jesus, who was the only beloved to make us beloved. If our purpose is to image God, to imitate Him and display His character to the world, then the question for me is, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? We've always seen those what would Jesus do bracelets, and that really doesn't help us because we just start making things up. Well, I think Jesus would do this. So how do we imitate God like Jesus did? We've seen that Jesus makes us beloved children through His life and His death. And now we see what it means to imitate Him, to be like Jesus. It means to walk in love. The entire Bible, the whole story of redemption is all about love. 1 John 4, 16 and 17, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. And love is perfected in us. God's commandments, as we saw when Kevin led us a couple weeks ago, God's commandments are an expression of His love. Jesus said, "This the whole law can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But still, this doesn't get me any more clarity on how to imitate God, how to be like Jesus. Love. That's just as fuzzy. What is love? Our world defines love as this, in, this feeling, strong feeling of desire. And then some Christians will turn around and say, no, it's not just strong affection, it's a behavior, it's action. And Kevin, again, showed us the folly of breaking down love into these parts like this. He showed us how love for God is joyfully obeying His commands. Love for others is sacrificially giving of ourselves for their good. This is how God defines love. John 3.16 God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son. Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, this is love, that He sent His Son to be a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice, a satisfaction again of wrath for our sins. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That last verse, 1 John 3.16, is Paul's point in Ephesians 5, verse 2. 
To walk in love is to give your entire life for something. Whatever grabs your heart and you commit your entire being to, that reveals what you love. So to love God is to offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To love one another is to serve in a way that costs you, that shows you are giving up so much to devote yourself for the good of someone else. This, Paul says, is how we build the church. We give ourselves to one another. We devote ourselves, commit our lives to one another, as Jesus did. And this loving someone is a disruption to loving ourselves, It should become obvious to the world watching us. Why do you love these people so much? Well, how can you tell I love them? Because you're always with them. You're giving everything you have to them. You're always talking about them. You, You reject doing stuff over here because you always want to be over here with them. It's a sacrifice. Jesus gave His life not only to purchase salvation for us, but to model how we love one another. It should cost us. How should it cost each one of you? I can't tell you. I don't know all of you well enough yet. I hope to. To be able to give you that kind of wisdom to say, you're showing love for something else and not God here, not God's people. But some examples might be Inviting, your, inviting people into your home to give them food and shelter through incredible hospitality where you show people love and it costs you because you don't get your alone time like you might want. Or your dishes might get broken or your furniture torn up when our kids come rampaging through your house. You may give yourself to love in mentoring someone someone in need, and you spend so much more time pursuing them, calling them, taking them out to lunch, feeding them over and over, never getting anything in return. Or you could be a mother who exhausts her body day after day, pouring into kids who, for at least 20 years, if ever, will respond in blessing and thanksgiving. Maybe you'll become a missionary where you need to give up everything that's comfortable to you. Perhaps you need to leave behind friends who are holding you back, who are taking all of your time so that you can't embrace this new family that God has placed you in. Or, I think relevant for all of you, is you join a church plant where your service and your financial giving is far more important than if you were one of 400 people at another church. Love requires sacrifice, giving more of yourself, drastic commitment to others for their good. But this isn't a begrudging sacrifice. I think Kevin would tell us there's got to be joy there too, right? It's got to be willing. And notice, you don't notice it here in verse 2, but the word for offering is what the Old Testament called a free will offering. 
It was something that was voluntary. I'm just so overflowing in delight for God and what He's done for me. I'm going to go sacrifice my best sheep. Hand it to God and say, it's all yours. This type of love is done because you want it. You want to give other things up because you love it. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before Him. He wasn't forced into the sacrifice. He willingly went to the cross for us. And if we have trusted in Jesus, He gives us a new heart that willingly gives up such precious things in order to love one another. His Spirit is alive in us, making it our delight to give more and more. Where people would look at us and say, why are you continuing to give to those silly people? Because God gave me a heart to love them as Jesus loved them. And then, when our hearts joyfully sacrifice out of this love for one another, then we are truly imitating our Father in Heaven. And He looks down upon us and smiles. The end of verse 2 says that this type of love is a fragrant offering to God. Literally, the word fragrant is translated from two words, a phrase that says, pleasing aroma. This is the exact same phrase that the Old Testament law says when they would give a sacrifice They would slaughter the animal, put it on the altar, and light it on fire. And the smoke would rise from that up to heaven as a symbol of going to God. And when it reached God, he says, it's a pleasing aroma to him. This satisfaction of sin paid for through the sacrifice finally makes him happy because it restores a relationship with his people. Eventually, those sacrifices became an empty routine where they did them just out of habit or they thought they might be able to manipulate God. So they did these sacrifices and no longer were they a pleasing aroma to God. And he sent his prophet Hosea to say, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I struggled with that phrase a little bit because the sacrifice is so necessary. He says in verse 2, It was a fragrant offering and sacrifice. A pleasing offering and sacrifice. So, it seems to me he does like sacrifices. But what Hosea means is that, isn't that sacrifice is unnecessary, but there was a greater point to the sacrifice. The sacrifice was an instrument, a tool to restore us to a relationship with God. And the ultimate solution to what do I do with people who are sinful, but I want to give them mercy, but the law demands justice. I want to give them mercy, but the law requires sacrifice. God's great plan was to send Jesus to die. Where at the cross, both mercy and sacrifice meet. Love and justice find their culmination in Jesus on the cross. Jesus satisfied in His life and His death the demands of the law, the demands of justice, so that through we could receive mercy and through that become beloved children of God. Beloved children whom He looks down upon and says, well done, my children. Being in this type of relationship with God 
should change how we view the world and how we go about walking in love, walking in this Christian life to which we've been called. As Christians, we don't look to the Bible as a list of do's and don'ts, things you can do and things you can't do, but we read it as a letter describing God's work from before the foundations of the world to redeem us, to be His children. Repentance isn't simply feeling guilty and saying, I'll do it better next time, but recognizing that we have offended our Father and we turn to Him and say, can you still love me, Father? Saying we believe in God doesn't simply mean, yeah, we think He exists. Yeah, there's a God that created. More than a Creator, God is our Father whom we go to and talk with. We trust Him like a little child throws his life into his Father's arms. The goal of forgiveness isn't simply getting to go to heaven, but getting to live with God our Father, to climb onto the throne of the King of the universe and rest on His lap. A couple of weeks ago, as I was sitting and watching Titus play in our backyard, our new backyard that we've been creating, I noticed the, the delight he had. He was running and playing with such freedom. I could tell that my love for him had provided him the opportunity to just be free, to be a child. And as he's running, he would smile, he would look at me and smile, and then go back to playing. And look at me again and smile and go back to playing. So I said, Titus, come over here, big guy. And I said, hey, buddy. Do you like this new life we have? Do you like living in this new home, in this backyard? Isn't it great? And I expected him to throw his hands up in the air and jump and say, Yeah, Dad! This is awesome! But instead, the little boy comes in closer to me and wraps his arms around me and said so sweetly, Dad, I just like living with you. that's the goal of Jesus' sacrifice. That's the purpose of God's love toward us. So He can make us into beloved children that we just love to be with wherever He is. We get to delight in the freedom He provides for us and play, enjoy this life in His love. And then we imitate Him in His sacrificial love towards our brothers and sisters, unified in this family, and show the world how incredible the love is that we've been loved with. We sacrifice our lives for one another to show the love that God has loved us with. A child's behavior is a reflection of his parents. And just the same, our behavior as Christians is a reflection of God our Father. So I pray now that your love would abound toward one another so that the world may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, it's been a joy to get to know these people and love with them and be loved by them. And I have come to know 
your character, your kindness, so much more through these people. In every unique way, I see confidence, I see hope, I see kindness and generosity, I see forgiveness, I see hard work, dedication, diligence, sacrifice, nurturing, empathy, and encouragement. Just a few ways, God, that you display your fatherly nature to us. So, and I thank you for these brothers and sisters, chips off the old block, who all together show me your kind love. May we more and more reflect your goodness. Imitate your kindness by the Spirit alive in us of Jesus, who is the perfect imitator of our Father. Amen.